electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. On today's episode, House Speaker McCarthy meeting with Taiwan's President Tsai, French President Macron meeting China's President Xi, and our own Eunice Yoon on the ground in Beijing. As it's coming at a time when the economy isn't doing particularly well, and they have been trying to drum up business from um, the U.S. And there's a mass exodus out of high-tax states like New York and California, but who's to blame? Former New Hampshire governor and senator Judd Gregg says it's all greedy politics. In our economy, which is based on market economics, people are going to move around where they can be most productive and most effective in utilizing their dollars and creating wealth. Meanwhile, New York Senator Michael Gianaris says taxing the wealthy won't force residents out. We shouldn't be making grand policy decisions uh, based on anecdotal or instinctive feelings when we have data to look at. New York has more millionaires today than it had before. Plus, Costco falters, Tesla's Master Plan 3, and what to watch at the box office this holiday weekend with media expert Rich Greenfield. Individual movies are certainly getting back to levels that we saw pre-pandemic. Like there is definitely desire to go to movies to see great films. And I think you're going to see that this weekend. It's April 6th, 2023, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. France's President Emmanuel Macron meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping earlier this morning. Wow, that must have been early. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, That meeting uh, coming as Xi prepares to sit down with both Macron and European Commissioner, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, China, also uh, reacting to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's meeting with Taiwan's president in California yesterday, Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing. I know it's different over there. I know it's, it's a different time period. What time is it there right now, uh, Eunice? It must be about early evening or late afternoon. We're 12 afternoon. hours ahead of you. Yeah. 12. We're okay. 12 hours ahead of you, so it's like I know uh, that. 620 or I know so. That. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- there's been a lot that happened today. Uh, one of the things that we saw today, of course, was the Chinese uh, reacting um, to a speaker. Uh, McCarthy, as well as uh, Tsai Ing-wen's uh, visit in um, California, as you said, uh, the Beijing has described it as acts of collusion, uh, those discussions. Uh, Tsai's meetup um, with uh, McCarthy, as well as other congressional leaders, is really seen as uh, one of the most politically sensitive um, parts of her 10-day tour outside of Taiwan. Uh, the Chinese had reacted very aggressively uh, when um, the former House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, had a similar visit with Tsai in Taiwan last summer. If you remember, at that time, uh, China had uh, launched an unprecedented, more than a week-long um, live-fire drill, which 
ended in what looked like a simulated blockade of the island. Uh, China had been threatening similar action this time round. But so far, what we've seen is really quite muted. Uh, the um, several departments coordinated statements, uh, but they used very boilerplate language, uh, such as they firmly opposed the discussion. Eh. And then the Chinese military also uh, said that they would have a three-day patrol um, in the Taiwan Strait. Uh, one of the things that um, people were discussing was that uh, this would also include possibly uh, stopping ships and then um, asking to board them. But the Taiwan authorities say that uh, none of their shippers have um, had any uh, negative complaints or any, seen any complaints. Uh, Taiwan's defense ministry has uh, um, also said that it spotted a Chinese aircraft carrier, the Shandong. Um, on, as of Wednesday, they said they're tracking it. They said the USS Nimitz is also in the area. But so far, uh, they haven't really noted anything unusual. There's a lot of speculation, uh, guys, as to why this might be. Um, Joe, you had mentioned that President uh, Macron is here. Uh, that's one of the reasons people think that per perhaps China wants to present itself more as a peacemaker at this time, doesn't really want to disrupt the discussions that are going on here when uh, China is looking to try to uh, court um, the EU, uh, not only um, to uh, potentially uh, uh, cleave it, its, its alliance with the U.S., but also uh, for more investment from the EU. And then the other reason why China might um, be looking to uh, have a quieter response is because it's coming at a time when the economy isn't doing particularly well and they have been trying to drum up business from um, the U.S., especially U.S. investment. So it might not be the best time to uh, suddenly have a very aggressive, uh, aggressive situation going on around Taiwan, um, unnerving a lot of American executives in boardrooms. Guys? Eunice, uh, it was three days ago. <clears throat> I mean, even NBC News reporting, uh, there was real-time info from that balloon, real-time, sensitive information about military installations in the United States where the balloon actually was flying figure eights to, to hover over the military installation, sending back real-time info. So, number one, you can't, can't believe anything at this point. It's not a weather balloon. It didn't stray off course. None of that is true. So any of this sort of feigned outrage over a, a, a president meeting uh, with, with the Speaker of the House, no, no accountability for this. Did that even make its way into any uh, media reports in, in China? Eunice, I'm sure it didn't. It, it, the way it's being presented is that uh, the Chinese are dismissing the U.S. concerns and saying that the U.S. is acting in an exaggerated way and that what it actually is is that this balloon was a weather balloon. And there really isn't any more to say about it from the Chinese perspective. But I think what it tells us is, is that there is some concern that the U.S. and China can't really uh, communicate yeah. Um, on some of these issues, uh, which uh, you would hope wouldn't be um, such big issues that right. the two wouldn't be able to overcome. They're talking at each other, and, and it's obviously dangerous. Uh, dangerous. I don't know what it portends for the future, but uh, thank you, uh, Eunice Yunon. A windy day uh, in, <laughs> in, in China. So, all right, see you later. Wholesale uh, uh, re retailer Costco reporting its first monthly same-store sales drop in nearly three years. The company says overall sales fell just over 1% last month. Costco executives saying that falling gas prices and foreign exchange weighed on the results. Shares of Costco uh, right now, as you can see, down um, $9, which, because it's such a high-priced stock, is only uh, is under 2%. But, okay, I'll, I'll give you that then. Lower gas prices and foreign exchange. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean the economy's slowing. Doesn't mean the Fed needs to 
to ease up. Doesn't mean anything. Although Costco, you know, first drop in three years. There were lower gas prices. There were foreign exchange uh, concerns in the past three years. I, th I think it's interesting. We'll see whether it, it portends anything. Anything about we'll see concern. whether it portends anything. Yeah, because especially if they trade Walmart's, down. Well, Walmart said recently that that they haven't seen any changes. Can I tell you? Know, I know you. Sometimes you hate it when I tell personal anecdotes, but I'm going to tell you one quickly. Charmin. I like Charmin. I'm sorry, I do. It's it's thick. It's it's luxurious. I don't buy a lot of them because I don't want to walk out of there like, you know, carrying it. So I you buy a little down to six. No, I did not trade down. But guess what? A little thing of, of Charmin $18. And I mentioned it when I was checking out. I, I do my own checkup. And, so, and, and the person at King said, you need to go to Costco. So you can go to Costco and I could probably get 10 times as much. So it is a trade down Costco. So if it is a trade down and that's what people are doing, then why did they have a sales drop? Do you, do you know? Do you have any comment? Do you use toilets? Do you use toilet speak. paper? Do you, do you know anything about it? Do you, do you have a preference? Do you, I don't. If it's really crappy, <laughs> wait a second. If it's really crappy so toilet speak. paper, yeah. You don't have a problem with that? It's I don't like, I don't like it doesn't that. even work. I don't, I don't like that. No. Okay, but, I don't, I don't. but you don't want to talk about it. Not really? Well, I can, I splurge. I splurge. Thanks I splurge. for the mental image. <laughs> Much appreciated. No, I splurge on good toilet paper. I do. I, I, I can't. I, I, you do. I, I do. See? I Thank you. Know. Thank you. Tell us something about it. But it's about. not for my use. It's for Quid pro quo. I told you that. Give me something quid, about you. Quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. Usually you, you have to ask. <laughs> quid pro quo. Fava beans. All right. Let's talk Tesla. Tesla is, in fact, bulking up its workforce in Austin. That's according to reports that the EV maker tripled its number of employees from 3,500 people to more than 12,000 last year. According to Tesla's agreement with local economic development officials, the company is obligated to create 5,000 new full-time jobs over the next four years. Clearly, they're keeping up with it so far. In the meantime, Elon Musk laying out his vision of a world without, he says, fossil fuels. Musk saying that uh, changing the world to entirely clean energy would require 10 trillion, that's 10 trillion with a T, dollars worth of investment, while continuing to rely on fossil fuels would cost, he says, even more. Bloomberg reporting that Tesla's master plan, part three, is providing more details of Musk's vision, uh, which was first outlined during last month's investor day. The report says that the massive build out of solar panel factories and metal refineries would be required over the next 20 years, he says, to deliver the renewable power generation and electric storage capacity needed to have carbon-free energy. Musk says the $10 trillion cost is high, but a fraction of the $100 trillion global economy and would be feasible when spread out, he says, over two decades. And this goes back, by the way, if you remember when he first For his started, whole, like, you know, his, you know Solar City. Oh. Now, I was going to say, I mean, Tesla was, part, Tesla was one piece of it, Solar City, and then they merged them, obviously. But this was always sort of, they're all of a piece. Going to be a lot of partnerships between governments and private And entities. by the way, I bet you will see $10 trillion worth of investment. I don't know about in 20 years. But this, right. this is where it's going. And it's going to take help. And he, he has benefited from the help up to this point. And he's going to need more help because right now it's... Government subsidies and taxes. Subsidies. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a, interesting. It's the same day that Exxon's not finding any oil in Brazil. And they spent a lot of money trying to find it down there, and they're basically saying, never mind. $4 billion they spent um, since 2010, and each well, well comes up dry. So there is a, I mean, people say we didn't run out An of stones. An argument to do it. Right. We didn't run out of stones to end the Stone Age. Uh, there's a finite amount, but, you know, people have Malthusian debts have not paid off. They still 
parade this guy out, Paul Ehrlich, about, you know, the world's ending next year because we're going to run out of something. But eventually, and peak oil, remember peak oil? That was 10, 10 years ago, and it never happened. Yeah, and they were sure that we'd hit. The guys that were promoting it are all dead, actually. It's been promoted for so long, or some of them are, and that never happened. There's a lot of oil left, but we probably won't run out by the time we do transit. I think it's funny. We, we had Dan, Dan Amon on yesterday from Exxon right. Mobil and talking he's, exactly, about carbon and his point was it, it's not really feasible in the beginning without government investment. No. You need that to start the flywheel to where it eventually becomes more productive and to get it To get it rolling. I don't know how we fly. I guess, you know, we can work on fuels for jetliners. That's what... We're going to have to work on fuels for jetliners because you're not going to have solar powering planes. And the world... Not even anytime if soon, you can't like go, anytime ever. If you can't go quickly, fast distances, we don't have the same world that, that we have right now. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, high-tax states are sparking a mass exodus. And former New Hampshire governor and senator Judd Gregg is welcoming his new residents with open arms. And at some people point, those folks say, hey, I can't take this anymore. I can't create jobs here. I can't produce wealth here with this regulatory oversight and this economic excess in the area of taxation. So I'm just going to move. But back in New York, Senator Michael Giannaris says the higher taxes are crucial in supporting lower income communities. We should be more concerned about uh, the people who need that uh, need those resources, need those services to have a good lifestyle in a very expensive place like New York, uh, than worrying about the thousand people that left who were replaced by others. We'll be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Three, two, stand Andrew by. Up and Andrew, cue. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Tech layoffs and Wall Street cuts crushing tax revenue in California and New York. Robert Frank joins us this morning with a look at uh, the conundrum. Maybe that's uh, the polite description of what's happening here. It, it is a conundrum, Andrew. It's just going to get worse. California and New York both seeing rapid declines in tax revenue while the rest of the country is seeing continued gains. California revenue is down over 4%. New York down 1% from a year ago. The rest of the states all up 11 percent. Dan Clifton at Strategist says the declines are partly due to the drop in tech wealth and the stock market, which have, of course, reduced capital gains. But the big worry is that withheld taxes, so that's taxes from payrolls, are also falling. He has three reasons for this. One, unemployment is rising in both states, especially among high-income workers who, of course, pay more taxes. Bonus income is falling. Wall Street bonuses down 26 percent this year. And... 
wealth flight. That's the high income taxpayers who moved out during the pandemic. Those are now showing up on the tax rolls. Political pressure growing in both states to raise taxes on the wealthy. A tax the rich takeover of Albany last week urged the governor to raise taxes on those making more than five million a year. So far, Governor Hochul resisting, but the state is looking at budget deficits growing to six billion dollars by 2027. California looking at a deficit of over 22 billion. Only six months ago, California had a surplus of 100 billion. Now they're looking at a deficit of 22. So this is getting worse very fast. Well, the, and the surplus, though, in part, was a function of some of the government money that had been the absolutely, uh, which is also COVID. running out. So the other question, though, is when you look at the flight, we keep talking about the the the, the wealth flight coming out of states like New York down to Florida and other things. What percentage of that conundrum that New York, for example, faces? Do you think is a function of the, the, the flight of the wealthy versus the bonuses coming down, the salaries coming down, the employment? There's no picture? way to know. You just see that the withholding tax from payrolls is down. You can't sort of see, okay, this person moved to tax. What we do know is that 2021, the latest period available, 1,400 people who make more than $25 million a year moved out of New York. It was 2,000 people the year before. Those are super high earners that, you know, 14, 2,000, not a huge number, but those dollar numbers from a tax basis have an outsized impact. So My, that's a lot. Here's one other question. You can't extrapolate this to federal taxes, can you? Because you can leave California, you can leave, California, you can leave New York and go to Florida. People don't leave the United States and go to Monaco, do they? It, it, well, the part that's extrapolated to federal taxes, and this is causing some people to say we may actually have an accelerated timeline for the debt ceiling because we're seeing low revenues, is the capital gains portion from the stock no, market. No, I know. But, but and, can, and so you can't make a blanket statement, but, higher taxes result in lower revenue when it's all said and done. That correct. happens in states. You probably can't. Now, over in Europe, in the EU, you can... You know, you can. It's easier to move out of yes. one country into another. That's yeah. not the same here. No. So, they make know, it very when we have people that say, it's easier to move out of one state to another, but yeah, right. But you can't. We're not moving to Monaco. And it, it, what time would it be if we did the show? Canada, from, uh, Mexico. Be four hours later, wouldn't Vermont, it? I think we should get over there immediately. Did you know it was the most dense, densely populated country? Very densely populated. Is, yeah. Monaco. It's tiny. It is tiny. Maybe that's why. that's why. Like a, like a city. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. Robert, thank you. All right, joining us right now to talk more about it is former U.S. Senator Judd Gregg. He represented New Hampshire as both senator and governor. Also, State Senator Michael Gennaris of New York State. And gentlemen, welcome to both of you. Uh, Michael, why don't we let you tackle this first? Because uh, Robert's laid out a lot of the arguments and a lot of the concerns on this. You actually are in favor of going ahead and raising those taxes on New York State. Lay, lay out why. There is a lot of disruption that the COVID years have caused in the economy. There's no question about it. But a lot of these uh, projections, in my view, are unnecessary, unnecessarily alarmist. You're talking about uh, projections four and five years down the road. And if I uh, we're able to predict, or if any of us could, what the economy is going to look like at that time, uh, we'd be a lot richer than the people watching the show even are. Um, and so let's just you know, take a step back and be sober about this. The fact is that people have suffered, working people, at a time when the wealthy have gotten historically wealthier. So the COVID years were very rough on working people throughout the country, um, people who have lost their economic standing. And yet, uh, the richest in this country, and certainly in New York State, have gotten even richer. Now, I heard the conversation about people fleeing New York. New York has more millionaires today than it had two years ago. Uh, and that's always been the story of New York. Some people leave, more people come in. Uh, and uh, as long as we do our jobs right, 
Uh, what we need to make sure of is that we have the services in place and give working people the kind of lifestyle they want so they don't sleep. Uh, because as everybody I'm sure knows, there's also a labor shortage that people are trying to deal with. And uh, we should be more concerned about uh, the people who need that uh, need those resources, need those services to have a good lifestyle in a very expensive place like New York, uh, than worrying about the thousand people that left who were replaced by others. Judd, I'll let you take a crack at that. Go ahead. Well, I think it's pretty stupid politics, in my opinion. Uh, you've got to listen to Margaret Thatcher, who said the only thing wrong with socialism is that at some point you run out of other people's money to spend. What's happening here is the other people are leaving the states. New Hampshire has no income tax, no sales tax, no estate tax. Massachusetts just put a major surtax on high-income individuals. We're being overwhelmed with people trying to get out of that state and into New Hampshire. Same is true of California and obviously New York and Illinois. Uh, you, you know, the problem here is pretty simple. It's politics. The constituencies of the people who run these states, who are essentially, they call themselves progressives, they're socialists, uh, are built off of dependency and built off of subsidy. And that dependency and subsidy comes from taxes put on people who are the wealth producers, but more importantly, the job producers in those states. And at some people point, those folks say, hey, I can't take this anymore. I can't create jobs here. I can't produce wealth here with this regulatory oversight and this economic excess in the area of taxation. So I'm just going to move. And you can do it in the United States. And the point is not that people, high income people are undertaxed in the United States. 74% of the income tax is paid by the top 10%. It's an extremely progressive system. And I suspect that's even more true in places like New York right. and California, although I don't have those numbers. So this is just a simple exercise in the politics right. of bigger thy neighbor until their neighbor leaves. Right. Hey, Michael, yeah. can, you, yeah. can you respond to that? But also, uh, look, uh, you and I have talked a lot over the years. I desperately want to reform the tax code in all sorts of ways that ostensibly would actually probably tax the rich uh, in, in a more meaningful way, but not necessarily from a state tax perspective, but from ca ca capturing folks who are, uh, you know, paying 15, 20, 25 percent uh, in total, rather than those who are paying 50 and on their way towards 60 percent. And because of this mobility issue, what do you think of that? I, I know you're saying here that there are more millionaires than there, than, than there were before, but I think, and I'm curious what, what math you have on this, I would imagine that's, that some of those millionaires aren't just millionaires, they might even be billionaires, in which case the amount of revenue we were capturing from them, as I, I say this as a New Yorker, was meaningfully higher. Yeah, look, I, first of all, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I wish this problem were solved at the federal level because we are living under historically low tax rates in the United States. Uh, over the last 40 years. And all the studies have shown that that has not had a meaningful impact on economic growth relative to a time prior to that when the tax rates were higher. So yes, this should be solved uh, more globally. The federal government has not done that. And so those of us uh, at the state level uh, have to make policy decisions as it impacts our constituents. Now, your other guest uh, is really good at the talking points uh, uh, that have been handed to him by uh, right-wing economists and the wealthy. But the fact is to support progressive taxation system does not make one a socialist. I am not a socialist, but I do think that uh, when the United States is near the bottom of developed countries in terms of its marginal tax rate, that there is room to create a better balance. And but the, the reason problem, why, Michael, by the is way, that New York is the at reason, the top. If I could just make one, 
But Michael, What's the that? problem is that New York is at the, New York is the highest tax state in in the in the country and, and by at this the way, point. Just to back up what Judd was saying, just some statistics on this. According to the IRS, 300,000 of New York City's wealthiest who left in the year 2020 earned 21 billion dollars in total income. 41,000 filers, which is the top 1%, pay more than 40% of all income taxes. The top 10% pay another 33%. Right. Do we know why that top percent pays so much? Because the inequality so of wealth because the inequality of wealth is so great. So, of course, if 1% is making all the money, they're going to pay all the taxes. But it's also... That's a circular argument. Michael, you may, look, we might want to change the entire universe, but the rea- that is the reality, and you need, you need that tax income. Yes, uh, we certainly do. And we have tax income from the millionaires that New York continues to develop uh, and recruit and have people come in. This narrative, I'm so sick and tired of it about uh, people leaving New York because, yes, people leave New York and people leave every state and then other people come in. That has been the story well, of New York can, for as Michael, long you as You can I say up is down and down is up as much as you want, but it, it still doesn't change it. Do you wish Amazon, at, at looking back at that, do you think that, that that community is better off without Amazon? Do you still it, believe it's that? It's a great question. You mean you mean the jobs that never would have come because they're firing people left and right? Are those the jobs well, talking I, about? I, I don't meanwhile, know. The, that's, meanwhile, if that's we're talking... Another, if we're, if we're talking about tax revenue, we would have had half a billion dollars of public money out the, the door the, to Amazon for, for a project that never would have come. Ask the people in Virginia how they like the fact that the their previous project is higher tax rates. Right. And I guess you're talking about Eisenhower years or something prior to, to some of the Reagan tax. Nobody paid 90 percent marginal rates. They probably paid 10 percent. And the de facto rate that people pay, you say the, the marginal rates are too low. A lot of people above in the 1% pay more than 50% in taxes, almost 60. Do you think they should pay 70 or 80% in, 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 as far as a margin? you think people should work till September or October for Uncle Sam until they take anything home? Well, Senator? first of all, you know you know that's fictional, Joe, because we're talking about only a certain uh, point at which their income goes higher. So it's not 70% of well, their yeah, total. But it, it's, yeah, but it's, if, you're, if you're above 400,000, it's every dollar past that. Every dollar past that is at, at 50%. Yes, and what I'm saying above. is there what I'm saying to you is there's room to grow, especially when the policies of the last 40 years have created a historically imbalanced inequality of wealth. Correlation is not causation. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you guys this, but Ronald Reagan was wrong. And it's time we start oh looking God. at the economy that, differently that, that, and figure I, out I how to I think here's the right. here's the question. Whether states should be the ones to uh, look, the inequality issue that I think in. you're raising Judge is just in, sitting there. The inequality issue you're raising, I believe, is absolutely real and i would love to find ways talk to, to the solve. fed i would love to find ways to solve it this goes back to how you solve it and whether you think actually a state can solve that problem without hurting itself in the process well that, that is that is the, the most salient question uh, uh, in this interview and, and as i mentioned i do think the problem ultimately would be solved federally uh, but then we are here faced with real decisions we have to make at a state level and i do not believe that the answer is continuing to let the wealthy get wealthier while working people are suffering in our state there's two sides to the coin. There is uh, the side you guys look at, which is how do we make the wealthy continue to stay where they are? How do we uh, serve the wealthy in the best way possible? Uh, unfortunately, I'm dealing with the practical reality. No, I, I wish I the reality wasn't the reality, but it is the reality. Also, so here we, I am. We, what, you, what you never look at is we have to look at people who are not at the top. We're also leaving the state. And, and how Michael, do we keep those people just here? Just to take some of the rhetoric out of it, just to have an honest conversation. But wait a second, just to take some of the rhetoric out of it and have an honest conversation. Judge just sitting about, there. Judd has plenty to say, I'm sure, too. We're talking about expanding the economy and how do you do better for a state's economy. And I think that is the more salient point, too. I agree with Andrew's point on this, but 
you're ignoring the other side of that. If you raise taxes, the wealthy leave or the businesses leave, it hurts the economy overall. It hurts the workers at lower levels, too, because the jobs disappear. Right. How do you and get more people to come true, back into the city? And if that were true, I would agree with you, except what the data shows, and we try and go on data and not Reddit, you're absolutely right, uh, is that the wealthy that are leaving are being replaced. And so, yes, and, and we're also dealing with some historical disruption due to COVID. And so a lot of the people who left temporarily are also coming back. Uh, and we shouldn't be making grand policy decisions uh, based on anecdotal or instinctive feelings when we have data to look at. New York has more millionaires today than it had before. Uh, and so all this stuff, if you could look at the one side of the coin of the out-migration, you're not looking at the in-migration. Judd. Judd, go ahead. You've been very patient. <laughs> well, I, I'm just happy this guy's in the New York State Senate so that we can get more people in New Hampshire who are wealth producers and job creators. And that's the bottom line. Uh, in our economy, which is based on market economics, people are going to move around where they can be most productive and most effective in utilizing their dollars and creating wealth, which in turn creates jobs, which in turn creates tax revenues. This is something that totally escapes the New York senator's idea system, uh, but it's not unusual because he gets elected by people who vote through subsidy and uh, and dependency. And that's wow. that's been a cultural <laughs> fact in our state for years. And, uh, you know, the simple fact is that, that that's a dividing line in our country. It's pretty significant in the way that states are managed to be economically prosperous and efficient. And uh, New Hampshire remains very prosperous, very efficient and very low tax. New York is inefficient. It's losing its prosperity and it's losing its people who create prosperity. And that's a function of people who think like that senator. Well, that was fun. <laughs> Judd Gregg, thank you. Senator Generis, thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, reviving the box office. This weekend's releases, plus theaters and streamers going head-to-head with media watcher Rich Greenfield. Turn on Netflix, turn on Disney+, Plus, turn on Peacock. There's an endless array of movies for consumers to watch. You don't need to go to the theaters, and so it needs to be something that really, the big screen makes it a better experience. Get your popcorn. We'll be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You're listening to Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. Is the box office uh, back to its pre-pandemic levels this weekend? Universal Super Mario Brothers uh, movie opens in theaters. It's expected to make $125 million. Universal is owned by uh, CBC's parent company, Comcast. Uh, we also saw big opening weekends last week with Paramount's Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and the week before that with Lionsgate's uh, John Wick Chapter 4. Uh, with Hollywood back in full swing, investors are wondering what it means for the current state uh, of the movie industry. And on the, uh, the streaming side, Disney and Netflix stock both down in the past two months. If they struggle to get their streaming film divisions under control with lower costs and fewer uh, outputs. Join us now, Rich Greenfield, uh, Lightshed Partners. Um, do you, could you put 
take your shirt off, uh, stand next to Keanu Reeves. Do you feel confident that at, uh, I don't know if you're 58 yet, but do you feel confident that, that, uh, that you can measure up there, Rich? You know, Joe, I, I'm turning 50. I'm getting close, but I, you know, I'm not on the other side of that quite yet. 58 Soon. for Keanu Reeves, and he's supposedly still a badass. He wins all the fights in John Wick 4. I mean, look. The- yeah, Tom Cruise does all his own stunts uh, at 60. R- R- Rich, uh, back to actual business. We're not, what are we at? How many big uh, releases? We're, we're still, what are we, 33% down from, from the best levels? Uh, I mean, look, individual movies are certainly getting back to levels that we saw pre-pandemic. Like, there is definitely desire to go to movies to see great films. And I think you're going to see that this weekend. I mean, I think Chris Melandandri at Illumination has been crushing it over the last couple of years. And I think you're going to see a big turnout for Super Mario this weekend. But remember, despite all the, you know, you went through a bunch of movies that came out in March, Joe. March was still down high 20s, you know, 25 plus percent versus... 2019, so the pre-pandemic 2019. So sure, things are much better. Individual movies are actually performing. There's still a lot less movies being released that will start to change as we go through this year where the overall volume of movies will pick up. But I think the one thing that people aren't talking enough about is that it's been very binary coming out of the pandemic. Movies either work or they don't. And we're just seeing a lot of movies just really struggle at the same time that we're seeing a few do really, really well. And so that's why I think overall box office is still at a substantially lower level than pre-pandemic. Consumers are just being choosier about what they go to see. It's actually kind of interesting because uh, the demise of the the movie theater and going out to see a movie, that was greatly exaggerated. But it better be good because if you got a big screen at home and there's nothing that's really drawing you out to AMC or something, then, then so that, that is a difference. That is a, uh, uh, probably a, a different environment that maybe we never, do we ever get back to where there are enough movies to get you out to the movies? Because they're not going away, the movie theaters. I love the experience, but it's the, well, it's the movie studio's fault that they're not doing better. Well, I think also consumers are actually, there is more competition for that consumer time spent. And I do think that with social media, I think you're aware of like what needs to be seen in a theater versus the home experience. There's so much incredible content now than we've ever seen before. I mean, look, just turn on Netflix, turn on Disney Plus, turn on Peacock. There's an endless array of movies for consumers to watch. You don't need to go to the theaters. And so it needs to be something that really the big screen makes it a better experience. And I think right. you'll probably get that with, you know, call it 10 movies a year, not 20 or 30 or 40 movies a year. And so box office is probably going to be down 15 plus percent from pre-pandemic levels going forward. I think that's just the reality. The story that no one I think is really talking about, Joe, that I find fascinating heading into this weekend is the animation crown has really passed over the last couple of years from Disney over to Universal. And I I think that story really isn't getting enough press in terms of just how weak Disney's animation franchise has become. And I think that's Bob Iger's number one challenge coming back into Disney is how does he restore that animation success that Disney had under his prior leadership? Yeah, that definitely that definitely is not mentioned enough uh, in the media. Rich, in I, fact, I don't why, why don't you say it again? Disney, no, uh, the last that? three Disney movies, like what was it, Soul or whatever? You know, like there was. Right. Yeah, they're, that's they're just not working. They're that's just no not working. Feat. And 
no small feat no. To, to beat Disney at animation. Well, and I think what goes for, you know, what, why this is important is animation's the lifeblood of the Walt Disney Company. And if you think about Bob Iger, animation was struggling the first time he came in. I mean, remember, what did he do, Joe? The minute he came into Disney, within six months, he bought Pixar yep. to basically for, reclaim for and take that title. Right. But he made that big acquisition. He then went on to make Marvel and Lucasfilms. But he quickly realized that animation success was critical to Disney's future. You know, we'll see. I saw the Elemental trailer came out during March Madness over the last few days. It looked okay. I'm not sure that's the transformative big movie that Disney's waiting for. Meanwhile, you see something like Super Mario, which looks prepared to crush it this coming weekend. And it just shows you Disney needs to get animation to work. I think investors are talking about creative success as as what Iger needs to do. I mean, yes, he has to solve Hulu. Yes, there's the ESPN issue. But the 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 creative side of Disney, the success in content is what investors are really watching for. And I think will be the big turning point on how Disney does over the next two years as a stock is can they get the creative back on track? Rich, just because we ask you about Hulu every time, do you have any new thoughts <laughs> about the outcome? Oh, God. Um, I mean, look, I've heard people come on your air over the last week saying Disney's definitely buying it. And then I've heard people come on and say Disney's definitely selling I mean, but what it. What would Rich Greenfield do? This is easy. You, you get rid of it. There is no reason. I was just overseas. I was over in Paris last week on spring break, Andrew. You turn on Disney Plus and you're watching The Dropout. You're watching Dope Sick. All of the content is built into Disney Plus overseas. You don't need Hulu to expand okay. the breadth okay. so of let's say you're, Disney let, Rich, Plus. Let's say you're right. Let's say you get rid So if you're Disney, the right answer you think is to get rid of it, irrespective of the bundle and all that, because people do Correct. think that the bundle is a complicated thing to undo. Okay. If it you're is. the buyer it of is. Hulu, your Comcast, potentially parent company of this network, do you want to own this asset? I think it depends on when you say, do you want to own it? What is the asset you're buying? Are you That's just buying question, Hulu? Right? Are you buying Hulu, the streaming service? Are you buying only murderers in the building? Are you building FX with all of the FX content like the dropout? Are you buying, you know, searchlight Rich, pictures Rich, and TV? Actually, I can I can give you the answer because you just said that what what made Disney Plus work internationally was the idea that they had the dropout uh, uh, yes. and they had dope sick and other things. So the answer is ultimately you're not going to be able to keep all of that content. So I imagine the answer is that that content is licensed on Hulu for some period of time, three, four, five years, I don't know. But then you will have to effectively create your own. You have to backfill a lot of content and build your own. So there's going to be a, a massive cost on the other side. That that would be my version of how something like this would go down. Now, do you want to look, own look, it? Look, the, the two problems here are, right, Comcast is losing $2.5 billion and is subscale in Peacock. This would be a quick way to get to scale. Obviously, the content issues and the licensing, you'd have to figure out, but it would jumpstart Peacock into a, you know, it would really, you know, sort of think about the the warp speed move in terms of what it would do to subscribers and overall business. But you're right, Andrew. What I really want to do is I want to buy Hulu and Searchlight or I want to buy Hulu and, um, you know, the the larger FX business. That might be more interesting. And then then the, the wild card is let's just say Comcast doesn't want to buy this. We know Disney has to buy Comcast stake next year. Then the question becomes, if Disney wants to sell it and it's not Comcast, who is it? You know, okay. could it be a wild card like a Microsoft? Sure. Could it be a wild card like an Apple? Sure. But none of that seems likely. And I think that's the problem that Iger is faced with is he wants to sell it. I think he's hired Investment Bank to explore selling it. Is there a buyer if Comcast doesn't want it? 
And that's the trouble, the real trouble right now. And what, and what do they have to pay? Nine billion dollars or something? That's the minimum. And yeah, that's uh, hold on. That's only if we're talking Hulu. We're not talking about the content that's created by other Disney divisions that theoretically in this conversation, you'd have to buy Searchlight or you'd have to buy FX on top of that, which would be a much bigger number. I, I thought that the addition of Squawk Box already had lit the fuse on, on Peacock, but you're saying that it could be even more so with, uh, with, with in terms of being scale with Hulu. It, so, it, and it's WWE be, and Squawk Box neck and neck as the drivers of Peacock for sure, that's what Joe. I meant. I'm, yeah, you, I'm, I'm, I'm sure oh, of that. Okay. All right. So you said some good stuff about uh, Universal Animation and some good stuff about Squawk Box and Peacock. Yeah, we'll see you next week, Rich, I think, and maybe the week after. Thank you. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Orkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And for the highlights from that three-hour show, you can always catch the three of them, the business headlines, and so much more right here on Squawk Pod. But only if you're following us wherever you're listening now. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Enjoy your long weekend. I know we will. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.